For our scripture reading this morning, we'll, uh, we will come from Mark, the ninth chapter, verses 2 through 9. Mark 9, 2 through 9. And after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter, James, and John, and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so that as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he was not what to say, for they were so afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And suddenly, when they had looked round about, they saw no man anymore, save Jesus only with themselves. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen, till the Son of Man be, were risen from the dead. Thank you, Buzzy. I want to be honest, I'm incredibly frustrated this morning. It does not matter. It seems not to matter. How many times I ask you, Bradley, you insist on letting this little light of mine before I get up to preach. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. The, uh, it, it is good to be here this morning. There are so many great and awesome things that are going on in this world in the name of Jesus Christ. And there are so many of those things that this body of believers is able and privileged to be able to have a part in. Um, so many of our uh, men, probably about eight of our leading men, I think it's seven or eight of our leading men are in Haiti, have been for this entire week. Uh, I talked to Adam this morning. Apparently they got these international texting plans. Uh, they spend money more freely than I, I guess. Adam always says that's cheap. But uh, they're doing great. They've been able to get the entire roof on the facility where, where they've been working, and they were worried they wouldn't be able to get that done. And we'll finish that up tomorrow. So they're doing great. Donnie Jean is going to be preaching there uh, this afternoon. So if you think my sermon is long, I bet Donnie preaches longer this afternoon in Haiti than I'm going to preach here in Savannah. Uh, but they're doing a great work for the Lord in that place. Place and we're excited for that. You can tell him I said that. The, uh, uh, so many good things. Don't forget, next Sunday is our Friends and Family Day. You t take that opportunity. Take that opportunity to invite that person that you've been saying, we're going to invite that person. We're going to ask them. We're going to invite them to come. Uh, it can make a difference. There are some of you that are here because you started coming that first time. Matter of fact, most of you are here because you came that first time. And we are excited about that. It's going to be a great day for us. Um, just to give you a little information, we are still efforting uh, in regards to someone else to come in and work with our staff. Uh, I did talk to Austin Johnson this week, and he has decided uh, that he just really wants to do full-time ministry. Um, has come to that conclusion that I came to also in, in, my, in my efforts that he doesn't just want to do youth ministry, but he wants to be in that preaching role. And I know lots of people have talked to him about that and said, well, what can we do? And he just he's ready to take that next step. And so we're glad for him. Frustrating for us. Um, one of the things that's frustrating for us is that 
we keep having some pretty talented guys come in here that are going to take on some other roles. You know, you remember when John came, and John was awesome also, was an amazing song leader. Well, when he didn't go here, he wound up taking, getting his dream job and going to teach at Faulkner, which is good for him and speaks to him. It's just one of the things that comes when, when we bring in very high-quality people. Um, and so that, that process is still ongoing, and I'm sure the eldership would appreciate any feedback or help you might be able to give for that. But I want to keep you in the loop uh, in regards to that. Um, a lot of people that are grieving right now want to be sure to reach out to Donnie, see Herb over here, uh, Miss Rainey's family, a good, good, good section of people over here, and uh, a lot of people hurting. So a lot of, that means a lot of opportunities for us to reach out and Ms. Rainey's services, I believe, will be tomorrow afternoon here in the, here in the building. Um, so if you'd like to help feeding the family, um, if you could have that here tomorrow, that would be much appreciated. So just a lot of good and positive things for us to be a part of, uh, whether it's uh, serving the Lord in Haiti, whether it's being evangelistic and sharing our faith, whether it's just putting our arm around someone and, and letting them know that they're loved. We can do that. We can do that as a body, and I believe we are doing that. Let me ask you a question. What's your great memory? I mean, if, if, if someone were, were to say, tell me, tell me what it was like growing up in your household. Tell, tell, tell me about, about your, your favorite memory. What would you say? What would you say? Or you might think about back to when, when you went to Hardin County High School and, and this, this is what it was like, Jenna, you know, your greatest memory of Hardin County High School. Right? I mean, we had the red and black over here from Sykeson uh, Senior High School where I went. And I got memories. What was it like when you went to college? What was it like when you went through this, this phase of your life? Most of us could frame our life in terms of memories. We could share things and we could say, you know what, this was monumental. I remember when this happened, and it might not have been something that I expected to come, but it, it, but it happened. And it changed everything and it made a profound impact in my life. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what the answer to that question would be if you'd been amongst those amongst those disciples of Christ who had been with Him? You'd been amongst those who had been traveling all over Judea with Jesus, and somebody said, "Tell me, tell me what the number one thing is. Tell me what your greatest memory is." And and you might have told them about when there were five thousand people and and Jesus fed five thousand people. You might have told about when Jesus stood up on the boat and, and He rebuked the wind and the wind and the waves obeyed Him. You might have told about a time when you looked out and Jesus was actually walking on water. You might have told about a time that you went to see a dead man and Jesus raised him from the dead. I mean, there are no shortage of nominations for things, great things that we could say that they experienced in their three, three and a half years of ministry that they had spent with Jesus. This morning, I want us to talk about what it would seem is the number one memory. The number one thing that, that, had, that made such an impact in the disciples' life. And we find it, we find it in, the, in the book of 2 Peter. Peter is going to be this great pillar of the church. But, but as he writes here in 2 Peter, he's writing to his brethren and he's trying to explain to them, listen, I don't mind talking about these things over and over and over again. It's my privilege to share with you this information, to share with you the gospel, to share with you these things. Here's why. Here's why I'm so passionate about it. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16, it's because we did not 
follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's not what it was. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Listen, this message is not about a big show. This message is is not about how slick you can be or how smooth you can be or, or, or all those things where men are constantly selling everything. That's not what this is. If that's what it was, this would get old. This would get old in a hurry. This is about the message of Jesus Christ, which I saw. This is about the glory of God, which I saw with my own two eyes. That's why I'll keep coming back and I'll keep preaching. Because we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, such an inheritance as this was made to Him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. I'm going to keep going back to that. That's what moves me. That's what motivates me, Peter says. Of all the things that I could have talked about, this is the one. When we went up on that holy mountain and we heard the very voice of God, coming upon Jesus. That's what I want us to talk about this morning. A passage of Scripture that we may not give all that much heed to, or maybe heed's not the right word, we may not give all that much attention to, but it was monumental in the life of the disciples of Jesus Christ. A time that we refer to simply as the transfiguration. You remember the context as we have been talking about the life of Jesus for the last nine months. And everything is, is coming to a climax. Everything is, is leading up to this point that we'll begin in the next few weeks as, as Jesus and His disciples are going to go into Jerusalem. But in the meantime, Jesus is trying to prepare His disciples, right? He's trying to get them ready and say, we're about to go into Jerusalem. And what's going to happen in Jerusalem is, I'm going to die in Jerusalem. And I'm not just going to die. I'm going to be beaten in Jerusalem. I'm going to be tortured in Jerusalem. I'm going to meet my death at the hands of the people who have wanted me dead for so long. And I want you to be ready when that happens. I don't want you to be shocked or caught off guard. Obviously, the reaction of His disciples who didn't understand what what He was trying to say, this rocked their world. This turned everything upside down. What are you talking about? You are the Messiah. You are supposed to be the King. You are supposed to be the one that's on the throne. That doesn't make any sense. That's not how it's supposed to be. That's not how it's supposed to be. All the way to the the extreme that Peter... You remember Peter even took Jesus, the Son of God, the deity aside and actually rebuked Him and said, this is not going to happen. I don't care what you say, this is not going to happen over my dead body or we go into Jerusalem and you're dying there. That's not going to happen. Jesus, you remember, tells him to get behind him. And the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about what transpires immediately after that. But they're traveling. For the next week, really, the next six or seven days, 
The Bible doesn't tell us a lot, but, but you know what, what had to have happened because we're talking about human beings here, right? And you've had those moments where something has just knocked you off of your feet. And you've experienced something, maybe it was in a positive way, or maybe it was in a negative way. But it happened, and then you had to live with the fact that someone has said this, or someone has done this, or there is this reality. And you remember there was a lot of talk. As you rode in the car, there was a lot of talk. There was a lot of worry. There was a lot of growing tension. Because they were trying to reconcile. Trying to reconcile this thing that Jesus had just told them about about what was going to happen with what they had always thought up to this point in their life. How do I put those two things together? How do I put this revealed reality together with my perceived reality? How do I merge those things? And you felt that. You felt that in your gut before. Some of you are feeling that in your gut right now. And I don't have the words to describe it, but you know what it feels like. And they kept walking. On to Jerusalem. Well, in Mark chapter 9 and verse 2, the Bible says that six days later, six days after this revelation that Jesus, this bomb that Jesus has dropped on His disciples, if you will, The Bible says that Jesus took with Him Peter and James and John, and He brought them up to a high mountain by themselves. You know, I I, I don't exactly know why Jesus picked these three. I mean, we can speculate about it, but but I I don't know why He said, He said, I'm going to go up on this mountain. And and the Bible says, and Luke says especially, that, that He was going up there to have a time of prayer. He said, I want you, and I want you, and I want you. He didn't invite everybody else. Just these three. They went up there. It's not the first time He did it either. Right? Not, not the first time that Jesus had, had separated these three. You remember when He raised the daughter of the synagogue official? Remember, he, she was dead. And they went, in, they went into that room and, and the Bible says He took those three with Him. And I guess, I guess the other nine were just standing outside. And they had to have been. Or even later, you remember when He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and they all have this special communion meal, this fellowship meal, bonding them together. And they come to the Garden and Jesus says, I'm going to go a little further and I want you and you and you. You come with Me. Well, I don't know exactly why, but but they were going there to pray. They were going up on that mountain to prepare themselves. And Jesus did that quite, quite frequently in His life and in His ministry where He would he'd remove Himself. He would seclude Himself for, for times of prayer, for times of meditation, for times of communing with the Father. One of those mountaintop experiences. And spiritually speaking, we've probably all had these mountaintop experiences in our life, haven't we? And if you don't remember the last mountaintop experience you had, I would suggest that you try to create one. I think back to to go into church camp when I was a kid. That was a mountaintop experience. I think back to special gospel meetings that we've had in the church and times of, times of, of revival. Uh, we got to go to, to a conference called Polishing the Pulpit here about a month ago. And I'm just going to tell you, it's, it's one of those mountaintop experiences where you kind of pull yourself away from everything and you just focus on God for a little while. Maybe in a way that you haven't before. And in almost every one of these 
almost at every one of these times, there's always the speech, right? I mean, tomorrow we have to go back to the real world. Tomorrow we have to go back to work or to school or to family or whatever. And as great as this has been, this, this doesn't last forever until we get to heaven. And we've all heard the speech and we've all given the speech probably at some point or another. But that doesn't mean those times aren't important. Matter of fact, I would say those, those times are essential. But in our spiritual life, we need the mountaintop moments. We need those mountaintop moments because they give us strength. They give us strength for when we have to return to the valley that's below. There are times in my life that the only thing that has gotten me through those, those times has been those mountaintop moments. has been those times when, when, I have, when I have reaffirmed my relationship with God as His child. Well, Jesus takes Peter and James and John up onto the mountain with them. Three people of His disciples. Why did they take them? Why did Jesus invite these three? Well, I could speculate. I think it's really possible that he, he took them up there because they needed it. They needed it in their current situation, and they were going to need it even, even more later on. His disciples, the ones who were to be the pillars of the church, what were they? They were scared. They were, they were confused. And the reality was, it was about to get a whole lot worse. Because all of these words that Jesus had spoken, they were about to become a reality. They were about to come true. Peter, Peter is about to become the focal point of, of, the, of that first century church. Just a few short chapters later, a few short months later, he's going to preach that first gospel sermon there in Acts chapter 2. Peter's going to be the one. James, who is there on that mountain, you remember what happens to James? James is about to lose his life for the cause of Christ. Do you need faith for that? Do you need to be built up for that? Yeah. They needed it. And it's very possible in my mind that Jesus knew these things. I know He knew these things. But it's very possible in my mind that Jesus was trying to prepare them as you raise your children, one of the things that, 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 that you're trying to do is to prepare them, right? And you put them in certain situations because, because you know they're going to need that. You work on your relationship because you know that there's coming a day when they're going to need those things. I'm trying to get them ready. I'm trying to give them the things today that they're going to need tomorrow. It's possible that Jesus invited those three simply because He knew in some special way they needed it. It's also possible that Jesus invited them because He wanted to share it with them. You know, Jesus was a man too. He had friends. He had people that He was closer to than other people. Everyone in this room, we could say that of, right? Right? I mean, it's not that we, we should have enemies in the body, but there are certain people that we're closer to. There are certain people that you're closer to. And maybe that's because of age. Maybe that's because of situation. Maybe that's because of personality. But that's how people work. Jesus had those relationships. And the one thing that I've noticed about relationships is that we like to share things. I like to share things with people that are close to me. Not just informationally share things, but experientially share things. When there's something great going on in my life, there are certain people that I want to have them with me. I want to have my wife. I want to have my children. I want them there. Because I want them to experience these things with me. 
The Bible says that, that John was the beloved disciple. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved. That doesn't mean he didn't love the rest, but it does mean they had something special. They had a special relationship, a deeper relationship. It could be that he invited these three on the mountain just because he wanted to spend some time with the people that he was closest to. You know, next week we have an opportunity to invite some friends and some family to come and worship with us, to come and hear the gospel presented, to come and sing praises with us. I think every one of us knows some people who need it. We know some people that they have struggles in their life, just like we have struggles, but we look at their lives and we say, you know what, I know what you need. I don't have all the answers, but I know what you need. You need Jesus. You need the body of Christ. I want you to come and share in the things that have been given to me. You're thinking about those people. Write their names down and invite them this week. They're people that you want to share those things with. You want to share those things in, in their life. This is your opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to bring someone up on top of the mountain with you. You know, I shared with our Bible class this morning, but I had spoken to someone this week, and I've talked to them every couple of weeks for quite some time. And they invited them to church and told them we missed them. And, and, and they said, they said they're going to be here next week, and, and I hope that they are. But at the end, at the end of their message, they, they, they said something that just has my mind going over and over. And it's the second person that, that said this in the last six months. They said, thank you for not giving up on me. Why? Why? They want to know someone believes in them. Thank you for not giving up on me. Have you ever felt that way? Because I'm going to be real honest, I kind of thought about giving up on them. Don't give up on people. Because Jesus didn't give up on you. Give people that opportunity because they need it and because we want to share our faith. They're back on the mountaintop as they go up into that place and they're up there to pray and Jesus is praying and you know what the disciples are doing. They're doing what they always do when He starts praying. They're sleeping. The Bible says that they fell asleep. But it also says that they were woken up exceptionally quick because the Bible says that Jesus was transformed or transfigured or metamorphosized. And, and we don't know exactly what it is that that transfiguration looks like, but we know that it was significant. We know that it caught the attention of all of those, of all of those who were there. Matthew tried to capture it in this way. He said, "...and He was transfigured before them." And His face shone like the sun, and His garments became white as light. Mark said, And His garments became radiant and exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Luke said, And the appearance of His face became different, and His clothing became white and gleaming. What, what was happening? The Bible doesn't really tell us what was happening. Besides, something significant was happening. 
it, it made my mind immediately go back to Moses whenever he was receiving the law on Mount Sinai. You remember in the Old Testament? And, and the people could not bear to be in God's presence, so they sent Moses. But, but you remember what happened when Moses came back from being with the Lord? And the Bible says that his face was glowing. So much so that he had to cover his face to keep from scaring the people. I don't know exactly what that looked like, but I know it was something powerful. I, I think they were having a glimpse. A glimpse of that spiritual reality of the great deity of God, the glory of God, if you will, in, in, that, in, that, in that essence. Whatever it was, it had their attention. It had their attention in a very serious way. And it wasn't just Jesus that they saw. The Bible says, and then Elijah appeared to them along with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, or one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And, and once again, we're not really told about why it went down this way. Why is Elijah there? Elijah's been dead for a long time. Well, why is Moses there? I don't know. He's been dead even longer, right? What are they, what are they doing there? I don't know. But I know, that, I know that Peter thought it was great that they were there. And we've all been in those situations where something was going on and we thought, I don't know why I'm here, but I'm glad I'm here. Right? I'm glad I was there to see that. I'm glad I was here to, 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 to hear that. We know that Moses and Elijah were big deals. They were big deals. And especially to the Jewish people, most people assume that they, they represent the law and the prophets. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Probably none of us really know. But we do know that, that whatever it was that, 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 they, that they were doing there, we know what they were talking about. We know what their conversation was all about. As a matter of fact, Luke says, Luke says in Luke chapter 9 and verse 31, what does Jesus talk about when He, when he gets together with people, great men of God who have departed this world? The Bible says, Luke chapter 9 and verse 30, Behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure. They were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. They were talking about the same things that Jesus had been, to talk, had been talking to his disciples about. They were talking about what's going to happen in Jerusalem, what's going to happen at the cross. What's going to happen when we come to the crucifixion? How often do we talk about the coming of Jesus? How often? When was the last time that we simply had a conversation about when Jesus is going to come again? That's what Jesus talks about. It would have been a conversation of great importance. Of great importance for those men as they, as they talked. Christ... Remember, Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Of what law? He is the fulfillment of the law that came from Moses. Everything that Moses had worked his lifetime for in leading the nation of Israel and delivering that law, the purpose of his law, it was not simply to keep people from eating bacon. That's not the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to bring people to Christ. It's the fulfillment of that. 
Elijah had been one of the great prophets who had worked diligently to prepare the people through whom that Christ would come. They might have been had a, had, a, had a very personal involvement in this conversation. Because the death of Jesus in Jerusalem that they seem to have an understanding of even before it happened. The passing of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus was not just for the sins of the world, it was for their sins. They couldn't go to heaven without that death. Their sins could not ultimately be forgiven without what was going to happen in Jerusalem not many days from then. The forgiveness that the Old Testament talks about so often is a forgiveness that anticipates the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. Uh, the old preachers used to say and talk about how the blood of Jesus flowed both forwards and backwards. Maybe that helps us to understand something that's kind of difficult to understand. But I know they were talking about it. It could be that what they were talking about was simply to encourage Jesus. It was not easy to go to the cross. It was not easy to die in that place. And His, his reality, what Jesus had been living through in His life, was when He surrounded Himself by those who He was closest to, by those who He shared the deepest spiritual bond with and He shared His greatest burden with, what had they done? They discouraged Him. They tried to talk Him out of it. Jesus was a man. That was, that was a struggle. Jesus comes here to speak with Moses and Elijah who no doubt were encouraging Him to not let anything stand in His way to give Him the strength, to give Him the passion, to give Him even the faithfulness that He had within Him, to bring it out, to let nothing deter Him from carrying through God's plan for saving mankind. That's what they talked about on the mountaintop. And as all of this was going on, and Peter's trying to build little tents for, for Jesus and Moses and for Elijah, God comes onto the picture. The Father comes into the picture. And the Bible says that a cloud formed overshadowing them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is what Peter, years later, said, I will never forget. This is what Peter said has impacted me in my life. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. The King James Version says, Hear ye Him. And all at once they looked around and they saw no one. They saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. The message, whether they were there simply for Jesus or whether they were there for the disciples, I think probably both. But the message that God would bring to the disciples and that He would bring to us is simply this. Listen to Jesus. Listen to what He is trying to tell you. Even if you don't understand it, even if it goes contrary to all of your expectations, even if you disagree with what it is that He's saying. And the disciples had felt all of those ways about this message that Jesus was trying to give to them. God says, you listen to Him. Heed His Word. 
I'm not struggling with the death of Jesus. I'm not struggling with the concept that Jesus is going to have to die in Jerusalem. I doubt that any of us in this room are sitting on the edge of our seats wondering whether that's really a good idea or not, like they were. But there are some things that Jesus reveals to us through His Word that I do struggle with. There are some things that I read in, in the Word of God that I, that I wonder, I, I don't understand that, and that's not how I would do it. There are even some things that I read in God's Word that make me feel extremely judged by His Word. I don't like that. God says, listen to Jesus. Listen to Him. Heed Him. And the question comes to us, however and in whatever position we might struggle to accept His Word or His will, the question comes to us over and over whether or not we are willing to embrace an ideal. Because that's what His Word is, right? It is an ideal of how He wants us to live, of how He wants us to function as individuals, as families, as churches. Are we willing to embrace an ideal that we have or will fall short of? You see, because ultimately we're all going to find something in this book that we have or will fall short of. That's why I'm struggling with it. Right? I mean, there are lots of things I don't struggle with because I haven't fallen short of them. But when I fall short, or my situation is less than, than ideal, will I still listen to Jesus? Or, or will I redefine things? Will I redefine God's ideal in order to embrace, in order to feel better about who I am or where I am? Will I change the rules, if you will? Well, many people have done that. But what I'm going to contend, and what these disciples are going to find out, it's only in that first path. It's only in that first path of embracing, embracing the ideal that Jesus puts forth, even an ideal that I'm struggling with. It's only there that I'm truly going to see God's grace. That I'm truly going to be able to experience God's forgiveness. That I'm truly going to be able to understand how God can transform us. That's what His disciples are going to come to understand when they come to Jerusalem. And they'll never forget it. They didn't forget it on the day that He died, but they still struggled with it. They're never going to forget it as they preach that first gospel sermon. They don't forget it as they go out into all the world preaching and teaching. They don't forget it as persecution comes to them. This is about Jesus. This is about His Word. And it's about His will. And that's where my attention needs to be. I've seen it with my own two eyes, they say. I've heard the voice of God with my own two ears. I've experienced it. I am an eyewitness to that. And it changed them. We walk away from this text understanding that God wants to transform you and me. God wants to make us into something that we are not. He wants us to be His reflection. He wants us to look like Him. 
And that's an incredibly arrogant statement for any man to make. But it's a perfect statement for our holy God to make. As He looks at you and He looks at me, and He sees our sin, and He sees our imperfection, and He sees our shortcomings, and we say, what are you going to do about that? And He says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to die for it. I'm going to give everything for it. So come and follow me. That's the message. As simple as it is that we struggle with. But when we embrace it, it will change us. It will change our focus. It will change our direction. And we are simply willing to say, I'm here to follow Jesus. And if, you, if you've never followed Jesus, if you've never been baptized into Christ, as Don talked about during our communion, there's a, there's a distinction between those two lives. Why don't you do that this morning? Are there ways that Jesus has called unto you that you've pushed Him away? Don't push anymore. Stop rebuking Jesus and come and follow Him. Well, that means that I come to repent or that means that I come to be encouraged. Just follow Him. And He will carry you home. Why don't you come this morning as we stand and as we sing.